Welcome to the Huxley Morton podcast. This week, I am joined by Amon Kera, the Global Head of Regulatory at Worldwide Clinical Trials, who's going to be sharing her story about how she got into the industry and a few tips and tricks for people aspiring to do what she has done along the way. Amon, um, thank you very much for joining me. I know that it's uh, bright and early for yourself uh, over there. Um, Tell me, I guess you and I have spoken off camera, off air, as it, yeah. as it may be, but give everyone who's listening in or, or watching um, a quick introduction about your role, your company, and some of the, the great things that you've been doing over the past 18 months, and then we'll come on to, the, to, to this year in 2020 as a separate, <laughs> as a separate <laughs> subject, right? Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much, James, for inviting me. I'm really humbled that I'm on your podcast for a start, um, so thank you again. Um, for listeners and viewers, I actually hold the position of a Global Head of Regulatory Strategy here at Worldwide Clinical Trials. It's a mid-sized global CRO. I've been with the company nearly 18 months. I'm based in Vancouver in Canada. Yeah, don't let that English accent confuse you. Uh, having relocated over 15 years ago um, to the West Coast, and what I do on a day-to-day -day basis, I advise companies, usually small biotechs, virtual companies, startups, even venture capitalists, groups or advisors actually that are looking to fund, um, you know, clinical research companies or, clin or rather sponsor companies and what have you in yeah. developing therapies and what have you. So what I do on a day-to-day -day basis is more an advisory capacity. Okay, mm -hmm. with a regulatory lens. Okay. Well, look, I, I think one of the reasons that I first reached out to yourself was because I came across your LinkedIn profile and, and LinkedIn is, is massive at yes. the moment. You know, everyone's on there. I think the fact that we're all working from home has driven everyone to their mobile devices that we can't get off. Um, <laughs> and with LinkedIn's app, you know, they've, they've taken a, a huge chunk of that social media marketing uh, yeah. nowadays. Um, and what stuck out was your, almost your head, I don't know what it's called. Is it the headline banner? Or... Yeah, I think it's a headline. Yeah, the headline. headline um, yeah, which has you down as the rebel regulator. And I thought, okay, <laughs> look, this is someone who must have a, have a story. So you've given us a quick snippet of, of what you do now and the advisory yeah. services. But for everyone listening, let's just rewind because you and I have spoken about it before, but how you got into the industry, um, a bit about your background and, and your route to you know now living over on, on the west coast because yes everyone we can't ignore the london accent <laughs> yes so <laughs> no, tell, give us a quick rewind about your story sure so born in london um i grew up there i studied medical biochemistry at brunel university mm -hmm. and i actually chose to complete a sandwich degree and i know in north america they call it a co-op right so i had two co-ops or placements right. and I, I I chose a sandwich degree because I want I was very keen to get industry experience right yeah. so I loved my science but I think overall I kind of knew I was I, I wanted to be in industry I didn't mm -hmm. really want to wear a white lab coat so right. having said that my first we in the sandwich course we got two placements six to eight months my first one was in a in a research laboratory at yeah. the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, funded by an AIDS foundation. Mm -hmm. Great work. Um, but more than anything, it kind of reinforced the fact that I didn't want to be in a, in a lab coat. 
right? Uh -huh. So um, the second um, placement was um, in a quality assurance environment at a food giant. So it was then called Grand Metropolitan Foods and they owned Pillsbury, um, Hagen dazs ice cream, Green Giant. They had, yeah. they actually, they had the big ones. And I worked over in Uxbridge in their um, QA team, mm. actually developed um, a process for sensory evaluation as well, believe it or not, it's a science. And um, which was fun, testing out the, getting the corporate team to test out officially in a scientific manner, mm. um, looking at new flavors. And the flavor then was chocolate orange, although that didn't get pursued. But that kind of gave me an interest in regulations okay mm -hmm. so there's food regulations um you know i was able to go to the plants for you know how they manufacture the food you know the factories and what have you actually went to the hagen factory in france um, was there much tasting at that hagen factory there wasn't you know what no. it's funny there wasn't because you couldn't even see it was all kind of it was all in pipes and it's very all stainless steel and things mm. so you didn't even get to see the product until right at the end. All I'm picturing is the, the Willy Wonka chocolate factory when you're talking about that with pipes and stainless steel. And I was thinking it was going to be like that, but it wasn't. Mm. So, yeah, it was very, like I said, very regulated it was. Mm. So lots of um, kind of regulations in place. So I, I got to, I, I got a deep dive into that. And that really took my interest in QA. Now, going back to university to do my final course, final year, um, I delved into the careers office, you know, went there and they interestingly had a pamphlet about careers in regulatory affairs. Yeah. Um, and I kind of read it, you know, it talked about the mix of science, business and law, mm. and it immediately appealed to me. I was like, great, Amazing. get to use my science. I kind of like the legal aspects as well. Mm. And I don't want to be in a lab coat. <laughs> so yeah. the business aspect, this sounds perfect for me. Nice. So I went, I went to the careers advisor and they said, oh, no, 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 no. This is a career that you go into as a changing career from, you know, being in the laboratory side. Hmm. Or if you've done a PhD, you need to think about something else. And um, for those people that know me personally, uh, when someone tells me no, <laughs> I will question why, yeah. why not, right? Mm. So this is part of the rebellious nature in me mm. and um, started to look more and more and kind of um, tried to read up a little bit about regulatory affairs and bear in mind in those years, 20 plus years ago, information was a little bit it wasn't so so much information on the internet as there is now mm. but there were websites to look at you know stories to be told so i looked at that and it was actually in new scientist magazine that um, par excel um, advertised for a open evening for new recruits um, to join a new group within the regulatory affairs group in uxbridge over in right. the uk uh -huh. and uh, I signed up, I went there, and they were looking for pretty much just raw graduates, which was a very new concept, I have to say. No one else mm. was thinking about that, from what I know. Um, went to the open evening, um, there were probably about 20 of us there. It was kind of more like a recruiting um, evening, more than anything else, yeah. and was called up 
for an interview and that's when I joined um, Parexcel as a I think it was called a regulatory affairs executive then yeah mm. they didn't so have those kind of kind of like a, an open day evening event yeah but really they were it was yeah under the banner of, of recruitment really I, I think I've been to yeah. similar things I, I remember when I got my first job it was through a company called Pareto Law and um, for oh, sort of yeah. sales graduates and you turned up yeah. and you've done a load of team building events and yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it suited me quite well at that time because I was young, enthusiastic, yeah. quite brash. Um, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily work for everyone, though. It doesn't work for everyone. I mean, yeah. This the is more kind introverts of, yeah. get sidelined. Um, definitely I mean this was luck honestly because um, I I went in armed with my CV right and had done my homework and you could tell it was I think out of those people they probably picked about two or three I think so so they were they were kind of watching and assessing to go on to the interviews that were happening phone interviews then and we had interviews with people in um, in America and what have you, then a face-to-face. But mm. yeah, I mean, as always, I still think regulatory is still quite a hard profession to break into, right? Mm. And I'll speak about that a little bit later, I think. But, you know, um, but that set me off. So I joined Parexcel. Um, mm. I went on to continue in CRO world. Um, I went to Orion, um, which is now Simbeck Orion. And then I moved on to PRA, where I stayed 17 years. 17 years. Um, when I joined... S- small life sentence, that one. Yeah, it, I joined <laughs> when it was 1,500 people. I left, um, you know, nearly a couple of years ago, when it was 16,500 people. Right? Wow. So you can... I mean, and people say, oh, you were there, like, you know, you were at a Sierra for 17 years. I was not doing the same job for 17 years, I can tell you, mm-hmm. right? Every couple of years, my role would change, my interests, and, you know, that was an opportunity where I was able to kind of really deep dive into what I wanted to deep dive into because yeah. it was a company with high growth as well. Mm. Um, and here I am at Worldwide, um, recruited into Worldwide to lead global regulatory strategy where I really get a chance to advise sponsor companies you know, get, and I think in in this time, I've probably advised many, many companies actually, but to network and to see what's happening in the industry, that's what I love as mm. well, and give my input. So it's kind of that, that, that early decision then to do the, the sandwich course at university yes. almost sparked, sparked this off. Now, I guess, I mean, that's the idea of the sandwiches, uh, sandwich courses, yeah. isn't it, really? Yeah. And it does give people a snippet into what work is all about. And for me, that's, you know, kind of where I wanted to go when I went to, to university. Mm. Um, you know, I, I chose a, a business degree, but with, um, you know, the, the split sandwich course, of, you know, for yeah. a year in industry, couldn't find anything that remotely interested me at that time and ended up ditching the sandwich course and ended up just just going straight on because I I couldn't find anything but you know it's great when it when it works out and clearly it has done for you don't get me wrong I mean I had to later yeah I I had to push at that time I remember because a lot of the people doing I mean you're doing a medical biochemistry degree Mm. everyone was going into labs 
And I said, I don't want to go into a lab. I've done my lab. You need to find me a role like in the case where I um, am in a corporate setting mm. and credit to the sandwich advisor. He found me a role, local role Amazing. and what have you. But like I said, I, luck played a part, right? Yeah. Right time, right place. You know, I always say that's, that. That's the thing. I mean, the fact that you stood up for that, again, it comes back to that whole rebel nature of yours, yeah. um, <laughs> kind of has now paved the way for, for where you are now. Because if you hadn't, you might have gone into a lab setting, which is what you were doing at university. You want a break from that. It might have yeah. driven you away from it rather than into it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, I could, and I can still, like I said, I can still see there are barriers, right, to enter this profession. And don't get me, mm. it's, it's got way better, actually. You now have apprenticeships for regulatory affairs. So it's yeah. getting much better. But, you know, I get... Uh, uh, I do get a lot of reach out on LinkedIn mm. from early career professionals about how to navigate through the complexities of, you know, their first or their second role in regulatory affairs. Yeah. So, yeah. So what, I guess, talking about sort of um, young aspiring regulators, as it may be, what tips would you give them as someone that's been there and paved not a textbook uh, way to what I would class as, as a top, I class you as a bit of a heavyweight in the, in the world of rec regulatory now. Um, what tips and advice would you give to, you know, job seekers or aspiring people that are looking to move up the ladder as you have? My biggest take home, I would say, do not give up. And I know it sounds all, oh, that's all well and done, but be relentless in your pursuits. Right? Mm. There are so many opportunities in this field in so many different angles now, okay? So many different ways to learn. You know, before there used to be, oh, textbook learning or on the job. Well, you've got online webinars to teach you things as well. Right? YouTube. Yeah, you, yeah, <laughs> YouTube, like LinkedIn learning. Mm. Um, the trade associations have lots of, lots of ways to learn as well, you know, so... And like I said, I still hear it often too much for my liking that it's still a difficult profession to enter. And I wholeheartedly recognize that. And mm. I think this is a strong motivator that has actually allowed me to, well, driven me actually to volunteer my time with a regulatory trade association, TOPRA, yeah. giving back to the profession and helping to pay it forward. Mm. Right? And uh, of course, there are ways, like I just mentioned, apprenticeships programs in the UK, in Europe, and what have you. In North America, there are program. There are many different fields to study regulatory affairs. Um, but at the same time, I don't think you, anyone should ever underestimate the power of networking. Now, I understand that <laughs> by nature, I think people think that regulators are introverts. You know, they want to put their heads down, mm. leave me alone. I will tell you. You know. Not so much. I mean, I've been in this regulatory field for, you know, um, a, a good few years. And I can tell you we're, we're an enthusiastic bunch. We really mm. are. And we want our voices heard with our expertise. So don't be shy in reaching out to people, networking, understanding. There might be an opportunity that is, it could be a sideways opportunity for a company that you want to work with, mm -hmm. work, work for. Um, it could be the point where you're making a sideways move eventually as well. So keep your options open, I think. This is the thing. And, um, and I always say when I recruited for team members, I look, everyone can learn regulatory, 
Okay, everyone can learn the skills required, you know, how to um, assess a data package yeah. accordingly, how to make a clinical trial application. But when I've been recruiting team members, I'm looking at the person. Do they know how to communicate? You mm. know, can they put their points forward? Do they know how to negotiate? Do they know how to work with other people? Um, you know, those kind of soft skills, you know, These I know are- it sounds... It's, it's you know, massive. I mean, you're talking to someone who, who runs a recruitment business, so I, I get it, you know, yeah. out of the thousands of people that we speak to, you know, day in, day out, it's those who communicate best, you're just drawn to them, you know, yeah, if absolutely. You, know, they, you could have someone who's maybe academically or technically better on paper, but if they can't communicate and integrate with a team, there's no point. So for me, it's hands down personality communication wins every time always every time and when i've kind of recruited for teams built teams i will look at a person's cv and one of the questions i actually ask is tell me about yourself and what do you do outside of work mm. and that's actually quite revealing right it, it it's it's um revealing in so many aspects about first of all your interest do you have passion outside of work you know and because those passions invariably bring themselves into work Right. You spend no matter what, all you know. day, every day with your work colleagues, you know, some of, you know, I'm sure for everyone listening, some of your best peer groups and friends are people that you've worked with. Oh, absolutely. You, know, I've you made spend more time with, with work colleagues often than, than family. Yeah, you do. Up, in, up until um, this year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. But it really, it, it tends to that point when people are kind of thinking and you don't need to be shy. If you're an introvert, you don't need to be shy about that. Um, surprisingly i am not an extrovert believe it or not right um but when i'm in my sweet spot then that's when i kind of shine out so mm. uh, and that was um i think I, we talked earlier about did you mention the guy daniel daniel pink, pink. Uh, i've seen a yeah. few of his things but i, I, I yeah there was a word yeah. that you gave to me that ambivert. i can't remember i'm sorry but <laughs> it's ambivert so the word is ambivert so mm. you're neither kind of like introvert you're an extrovert um you're in the middle and it depends on the situation that you're in mm. like you know when you're shining in that situation then yeah you're going to shine up but if you're not sure of it you know you're going to be introverted so i say embrace your space that you're in and let your true self shine as well more than anything sure. i think I, I'm, I take that on. And when you mentioned that, I went away and I was thinking about it. And I, I just thought about some of the people that I've worked with, you know, when working for other people and now running my own business. Yeah. You realize that actually some of the best people there might not necessarily be the loudest people in the room. Um, but if you give them a platform and let their, 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 their expertise shine through, they just, you almost you experience their growth and they're so much more confident to the point where, yes. No, they may not be down, you know, the, the pub after work with others being, you know, outlandish or anything like that, but put them in a room with work colleagues and they are very confident and you would, yeah. they're almost a different person. So I think you, you've <laughs> nailed, nailed it there. And you just, I, I, for me now, I recognize that. And it's just about giving people that platform uh, to help yeah. bring, bring them on. Exactly. And I credit some fantastic functional managers and mentors in the industry to help me kind of like, I I guess, be comfortable in my own skin. Mm. And don't get me wrong, James, it's been difficult to step up as a 
uh, a woman, like, you know, from an ethnic minority with a visible Sikh face and kind of like paving the way forward, I guess mm. you could say. And it, it was actually a functional manager, the previous one, um, who said, you are a rebel. You are a rebel <laughs> regulator. And I thought, I like it. So yes, that's yeah. exactly what I am, a rebel. And it, I know it sounds kind of like, okay, regulations, we know, you know what we need to do with regulations. They're really cut and dry. But then how can you be rebellious in that nature? Because you push it forward in the clinical research space mm. when there's sponsor companies that sometimes say, oh, we, we don't want to be thinking about that. You know, it's just that. Well, so much intel that a regulator can bring to that table in the development cycle and i'm all i'm that person that says you know what I, I get we're talking about how um clinical trials for example are going yeah. to be changing well hello can we have regulatory at that seat please you know mm. at that table have a seat at that table because um this industry would not exist if it wasn't for regulation <laughs> so mm. So yeah, I'm, I'm that kind of person that raises, wants to continue to help as well as others in, in, in the profession to raise that regulatory voice. Mm. Well, look, I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's thought about regulatory um, or you know anything, anything that is to do with like, auditing or feeling like you're being overlooked. I think it's maybe the rebellious child in me myself that is like, <laughs> oh no, I want to keep away from that and hide everything as much as possible. But actually, when you start, you know, yourself, you, you know, you're a very easy to talk to person, very vibrant. Mm -hmm. I think it's a case of when you start actually opening up and collaborating with yes. everyone involved, including the regulators, you find out that these, you know, you're They're not against, people. you're not against everyone else. Actually, you're there to assist them. And yeah. if they communicate that with you, you're, you are working in partnership Completely. and you're just trying to guide people the best way to do it. And I think my opinion on that, you know, since I was in my early teens to, you know, now running a business yeah. has massively changed. Because, and I think that was because I just always assumed that everyone was out there to, to get me and tell me off. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. The compliance. But, but it's, so it's, it's not. It's not at all, is it? So talk us through strategic. Your, yeah. your, your sort of typical day as it is now, uh, or maybe <laughs> typical typical month, because I know that every day is, is kind of difficult um, and different yeah. in, in clinical research and, and with trials. So how does, it, how does it vary? So no, first of all, level set, no day is the same. And I think there's been so many, I've been in this industry for many years, and I think that's what's what excites me in the mm. clinical research um, industry as well, that no day is the same. There are always problems to be solved. And I personally refuse to just stay in my regulatory lane, I have mm -hmm. to say, okay? I look at clinical research space very holistically, and that's where kind of lending the voice again. You know, there are many facets, and I come in, as other regulators do, with the regulatory lens. And like I said before, after all, this industry exists because of the need for regulation, okay? Mm. Um so mainly I could say I could be involved in a bid defense, preparing for that. I could be looking at um, the, the data package, assessing the robustness of it for presentation to regulatory agencies across the world. I could be having a conversation with a company, you know, trying to figure out, do they go to the, do they go to the FDA first and then 
have the EMA as an afterthought or do they think about the collaboration that needs to happen and the dialogue kind of aligning that so mm. you're not delaying the product's approval the development yeah. because look it it this this um whole profession is years in the making for a development i mean mm. with vaccine aside you know this covid-19 vaccine aside it takes years to develop a product mm. right so how anything to make this more efficient and that means you know i'm 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 always pushing or advocating to companies you need to seek that early dialogue with regulatory agencies you need to stop thinking them as the <coughs> we're just going to throw it over the fence and hope for the best and just close our eyes you know think you need to think about can we bring you in on this and have a partnership with you dear mm. regulatory agency so that's my conversations are varied and in addition to that i'm also advising my the internal um team as well i'm i'm a resource for the internal team here at worldwide yeah. and that could be from project management business development wow. you know the site activation regulatory team so advising in many different capacities wow no, no day is the same it sounds it <laughs> pretty hectic by the sounds of yeah. things can be it can be and look, I guess one of the things that is quite fascinating. Look, you're you're over in Vancouver on the on the west coast yes. at the moment. I'm I'm sat here in in London. So oh. one of the challenges probably that there's has always existed has been perhaps time zones. You know, I know it myself. Yeah. We're a, a business that, for our pharmaceutical side of things, everything's in the US. So I'm I kind of often work yeah. in the evening. For the engineering side of the business, we do a lot of work over in Southeast Asia. So I'm often. Yeah. At the same time, I can be in the office at four or five in the morning. And yeah. for yourself, it must, you know, the early starts must be just everyday life, right? Yeah, everyday life. So there's, um, it's kind of the saying the price that you pay on the West Coast, right, mm. <laughs> as well. Um, West Coasters, I think, and I don't know if people are going to um, disagree with me, but, you know, most West Coasters that I know, we are early risers mm. because when we're working with um, global companies and we need to be, by the time we're up, where you know east coast is up europe has already been up for a few hours and what have you it's the balance okay so some days for example there will be meetings early morning other days when i'm talking to um colleagues or companies in asia then i will start late a little bit later and mm. then i know i'll be it will be my evening and i think this pandemic has really uh, more than anything allowed people to respect those time zones a little bit more okay people, people seem to understand them a lot more because everyone yeah. has been driven to to zoom to teams um and to to, to, to actually book in time in, in each other's diaries rather right. than just thinking oh i need to call so and so over in whatever country and just pick yeah. up the phone um, there's, there's definitely more mindfulness right mm. and i feel like look i've worked from home um for many years now um you know it's never been you know i'm i'm used to kind of like you know having my realm but i know other there many people have been challenged by you know they were office based and now they're suddenly home based and but you know over the years i've kind of employed different strategies to keep myself balanced mm. as well like you know it, it is a balance because really in reality if you really wanted to work you know around the clock you could yeah. I, I, <laughs> you I know shouldn't. i know i know that too 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 far too well unfortunately it yeah. does get you just get drawn into it sometimes i can't, yeah. can't help it but it's it's because i like what i do and you know that's, that's yeah. why i started the business but 
Um, so look, you've you've worked from from home for a while. You've yeah. had to deal with the the early mornings. Um, as you say, an early riser. You know, I'm much the same. I'm I'm a morning person again. Uh-huh. So, you know, going back 15 years and speaking to my late teenage self, that would have not <laughs> even existed. Um, you got that same here. Um, Don't worry. <laughs> but, so, how paint the picture of perhaps how things have changed since the pandemic broke out? I know. You know, certainly one thing that we've experienced as a recruitment business has been that the hiring landscape has massively changed. You know, yeah. there's there's now access to people that people wouldn't have even considered previously. Mm, um, opened it up, right? Yeah. But, but furlough, if any of your team were furloughed, I mean, I, I'm not sure if you're involved with, you know, hiring any contractors or, or staff directly. Not how so how have things changed what, and what challenges have, have you faced since, since yeah. the pandemic broke out? So the challenges, so, okay, for overall in the CRO world, you've got mm. to remember that for the pandemic, a lot of clinical research halted, right? Because sponsor companies, you know, we couldn't get to sites on time and, mm. you know, hospital sites were closed and what have you. But there is a silver lining to this as well. For such a long time, there the adoption of the virtual aspect of clinical research wasn't really forthcoming you know Mm. it was there it was kind of like a nice to have um well if you wanted to ensure your product's development was not halted for however long you needed to pivot Mm. and there has been a tremendous amount of pivoting okay um Mm. readiness you know trying to keep um clinical trials ongoing even regulatory agencies i mean i was uh, it was it was actually very nice to watch how regulatory authorities you could see the transparency that they had to share what they were doing and they were giving I mean at one point I think in April there was an update pretty much two or three times a week from wow. somewhere in the landscape and you mm. needed to keep up to date with that and you, then you needed to make sure you had that information understood and easily digestible for a sponsor for a company to mm. understand as well the implications so yeah. but from a personal perspective so imagine not only are you dealing with the standard clinical research for a product in say oncology mm. then and I've spoken to other regulators as well it was as if we had a doubling up of our work because mm. then we had to think about COVID-19 yeah right as well you know there's been um opportunities like for you know COVID-19 research um, in all CROs actually mm. um, and we were bidding we were winning you know so there were there's plenty of opportunities but that was on top of the existing clinical research yeah as well and you know this has been an emergency like as such so it was balancing that and it comes back to that balancing and there have been times when I literally could be working many, many hours, but that mm. does not bode well for anybody, right? Because my advice then is not great as it should be either. So rest yeah. has been keen. Um, from a, another personal aspect is like, I just sensed so many people in industry just stepping up and going, you know what? Let's just roll up our sleeves and let's just get work done. I think um, that's that's been the common thing, is it? Everyone yeah. said we need to double down, and it is it is yeah. almost like okay, there's COVID, then there's every day what we what we do. Yeah. Uh, so everyone has had to do that, um, and I guess it's it has been it's been a challenge 
for, for all of us. Um, I mean, but it's it's brought about a lot of change. And I know that I've learned quite a lot about myself and in terms of how I manage sort of our remote workers now and, you know, right. some of the work that I, I take on and, you know, realise that not all business is, is good business. You know, we, we're yeah. often turning away a lot of business now and just being very transparent with people and saying, guys, that's not necessarily what we do. Mm. Here's yeah. who I advise that you actually speak to. And it's, it's kind of unheard of, but, you know, I'd rather just help somebody out than you know, be one of these agencies that try to take on everything and then just perform terribly at right. all of it. Um, so, I mean, what, what, for me, it's been the, you know, I've embraced technology and LinkedIn much more than what I ever had. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd always been the, the stereotypical, I guess, salesperson in a way, because I, you know, I like speaking to people. I'm, you know, I ask a lot of questions. I'm genuinely just intrigued to hear about people. And that's always, yeah paid in my favor um and i hadn't even really used things like linkedin up until last year which is crazy for um but i've now embraced all this new technology and still getting my head around some of it um (laughs) you know i'm you know hence the the podcast and and things but what have you learned about yourself and what how have things changed for, for you more than anything and we've just talked about this earlier about kind of like doubling up of efforts that we needed to do I felt um I needed to re-establish my boundaries right personally speaking it was Mm -hmm. a case of and I've sense I've always known that you know if I'm not if I don't have balance you know in and there's three realms I really try to look at my mental health my spiritual um um, practice and also my physical um like health as well Mm -hmm. so and I sense that I know that if I don't keep them all in balance things go awry, right? You know, they go a bit funky. And and how does that translate to work productivity? You know what? I'm not giving the best that I should be. And I'm that person that always wants to give the best advice. You know, when someone's reaching out to me, they're depending on me for my expertise, my depth of experience. And they, uh, and I'm always being a bit of a knowledge sharer as well, mm. right? So I want to give my opinion Well. I can only give my opinion if I'm, if I'm at my best, right? Mm. So, it's yes. Crazy how it all ties together, though, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. If you yeah. know, if I'm, you know, I'm, you know, we've, we've spoken and I've, you know, admitted that I'm a massive kind of gym fan and sports yeah. fan. Um, but I know for a fact that when I'm training for a specific goal in the gym, I'm so much more productive at work because the whole That's... mindset is just it's positive. Whereas if I'm on kind of oh I'll you know I'll, I'll get ready for the summer in the summer and like that yeah that lacks attitude it carries over to my it does. work and I, I yeah it's almost shameful to admit it but that's that's just it so I always have yeah. to plan what I'm doing to, to know that I'm going to be tip-top in all areas it's funny you say that because sometimes when I will get carried away I'll kind of go into a hole and I'll be concentrating on something it will be my husband that will say you need to spend some time in the gym or the run or something (laughs) only because I feel it resets my brain Mm. right and it gives me a fresh perspective and for suddenly something that might have taken maybe I don't know a couple of hours is done in half an hour because I'm I'm kind of like you know go 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 so yeah it all chimes in and I know some people might think what on earth but hey it works for me right likewise that I'm I'm a huge advocate of, of that and that's why I encourage you know any of any of the people that work with me to, to get into the gym and I'm like look if you want to go to the gym for an hour hour and a half at lunch do it because do it. 
Yeah. I'm not, you're not losing that time because I know that they'll be more productive. They'll feel good about themselves. Yeah. It kind of just, you know, I'm not one of these people that's going to be checking their, you know, when they've logged in onto the system and things. And I think that's what's changed, by the way. Before, I think, and over the years, I've noticed this for, like, I've worked from home for, for many years now. Mm. And when I first started, there was always that you must be in the office right? You're yeah. not going to be as productive. Well, I think we all know, like actually mm. working from home, you can, you, you know, you end up doing sometimes too much that you have to kind of say, no, shut down. Yeah. Um, but that's changed now, right? That's really, really changed in that there's more openness and even sponsor companies are now open to, look, we don't really mind where people are located. We want the best people. And mm. location is irrespective. I mean, that that's what I sense for the past few years coming in. I mean, look, I work for a global company headquarters in the US. I'm sitting in Canada. Yeah. Right? It's not about where you're located so much. It's about, you know, what can you bring, you know, is 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 a, is that role for, good for both parties as such? It's result, like I'm, you know, it's always for me, it's always just been results. You know, if the yeah. person is bringing the results to the table, I'm not overly fussed what hours they're working, where they're working. And this is what we've been educating our clients on. It's like, look, guys, you've now got the whole of the US. It's a pretty big place. Yeah. Don't limit yourself to state specific or, you know, town specific. You know, if even if you're on the, the East Coast, take a look at people in, in California. Yeah, There's definitely. Time zone different, but it can it can still get done. You know. Yeah, it still does. I mean, CROs have been really good at resourcing up, you know, for companies mm. accordingly and picking the right people. Yeah. You know, and there has been an education, like in the last previous company I worked with, um, we had a partnership with a big um, biopharma company, and it was you know trying to persuade them that they don't have to be office based. You can have a person, you know, even though you're in the Midwest, guess what? You can have a person in the West Coast. It's okay, you know. Precisely, exactly. And look, there's, I think there's been a lot of changes within the world of pharma and, you know, CROs. Yeah. Everyone's adapted. Um, but look, fortunately, we have now come to the point where we're getting positive news with vaccines. Yes. I know, you know, in the UK, it's been all over the telly. We've been seeing people get jabs left, right and centre. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that that's mainstream TV, but... It, it is, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys in Canada, yes. in the States. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the vaccines and, and how the world of, of pharma is going to be impacted as we move into 2021? Um, and just for, for everyone listening, this, this episode is being filmed on the 12th, no, sorry, the 16th of the 12th. <laughs> uh, so we're just, we're just heading into the holidays here. So, um, but yes, Man, what's, what's your thoughts on, on 2021? Oh, okay. So put it this way, this pandemic has really more than anything is probably maybe a lot more people understand that this regulatory profession exists mm -hmm. <laughs> in the public domain, right? Yep. Um, there's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot more change happening, okay, next year. And I'm not just saying it as like, you know, in passing, this pandemic really showed how clinical research can be sped up, right? Um, without, you know, without compromising safety and effect, efficacy of a product. And mm. this is what we're in there for. Now, bear in mind, vaccine related, there are over, I think there's over 50 candidates for COVID-19 in development. 
right? So this journey has not stopped yet, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of take it from the diversity, um, looking at underrepresented communities as well. There's mm -hmm. going to be more, more follow-up, more information. Data is evolving. But what I found positive is that people are listening more as well. There's more of an understanding in the public domain about clinical research. And yeah, I understand we, we in clinical research need to do a far better job in educating, you know, the general public on the complexities of clinical research. Mm. But also, I think technology is going to continue to kind of pivot us more and more. Some, some might say, oh, well, when the pandemic's over, then we can go back to the way it was. We're never going back to the way it was in terms of clinical research, mm. right? Because here's the thing, and I sense this as well, rare disease communities, for example, you know, it takes a while to develop products. Well, now I sense that rare, I think that rare, rare disease communities are going to stand up to regulatory agencies and say, what about us? Yeah. Be taken care of mm. this isn't just a numbers game now what about the few thousand that suffer from this disease we want to be heard too mm. I, I sense that a lot more and that you know buzzwords about patient centricity and decentralized trials and you know it's going to keep on moving us forward but i think the true thing is going to be real world <coughs> evidence and real world data in our community as well mm. you know how we collect that data what we do with it the follow-up data that's going to shape medicine that is yeah. well, i think it's, it is all moving positively and it's you know yeah. it's, you're you know you're a big advert of, of, of all of the positivity that is coming out of the, the yeah. pandemic as as am i i'm you know often irrationally confident and positive <laughs> about about things but hey like, that's that's just me and like it's great to have people like yourself in the world of, of pharma who are driving things forward in this manner uh, but like, as i always ask pretty much everyone who comes on 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 the show if you hadn't of maybe taken that sandwich course and and your guy at university managed to land you that that cracking placement because it, it didn't work out for me um what would you be doing you know what what are your interests outside of okay science and completely different i and I, I do say this a lot and in another life i think i would have been an interior designer <laughs> so creativity um maybe that's why i married my husband who's an artist don't tell him i said that right but <laughs> like, you know um i love it's, the yeah, it's very art. diverse regulation on one side which is almost quite strict in a way to yeah creativity side completely and i think that's why i've kind of been me and my husband have been to serial house renovators as well so nice. we've kind of looked at that and that's kind of my side gig my uh, one of my passions um in fact you I keep on instagram with that sort of thing as well i follow that stuff i won't yeah. uh, i'm a bit too shy in putting up my my kind of product as such but um mm. i love that and so yeah definitely interior designer um but in my spare time i also kind of delve into um human rights as well so mm -hmm. when i was much younger i'd actually joined amnesty international and yeah. much younger actually and used to um, join in the letter writing campaigns um and i think the human rights activist part in me has evolved in so many aspects um and i think that's why i'm always thinking with that space about um 
diversity, equity, inclusion, and what have you, and yeah. kind of, it's not just an afterthought, but how can I help bring it into the spaces that I am in? Um, and a couple of years ago, actually, it was my, my husband and I were tasked to create an exhibition for an NGO mm. and highlighting the stories of the people of Punjab that went through a genocide that to this day, the world has not really known. So mm. imagine, James, just for a minute, um, my husband, the creative artist, right? And me, the highly organized project management expert. You can imagine it was... Um, interesting we fired each other several times by the way (laughs) but um we pulled the team together and this is the this is the aspect that i was talking about bringing your whole self to work Mm. um pull the team together think about it you have to bring the right people to build a team right to to have success and the exhibition actually ran from a lovely art gallery in downtown vancouver and for over four and it was for four days i'd taken some time off thinking art galleries, how many people are really going to turn up, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd taken my work laptop saying, I'll keep an eye on things. Don't let your husband hear that one either, art galleries. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> right? Um, over four days, we had over 1,200 people walk through the doors of that gallery. Wow. And I was there every single day um, before, after, with my husband. And we just, it was a connection to people. Right? And I think we sometimes forget that, you know, in industry or any kind of environment that we're in, we're not, we're not machines, you know, technology is not going to take, yeah, t- technology is going to change the, the world of work, yeah. of course, you know, but we're humans after all, mm. right? And I think that's why I'm kind of still an advocate. And when you'll see me on LinkedIn, I will share things that I that are really important to me as well. So it's that kind of justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion part. And that now stands as a term actually in diversity framework and it's called a Jedi. So Mm. that makes me a Jedi for Star Wars fans as well, right? So I have that sense of, um, I think justice, and that takes me back to voices that need to be heard, whether it's patients that need to be heard, from agencies and communities and our and our clinical research industry, or whether it's the human rights of a certain group or individual that are not recognized. But it's not all work and activism. My husband and I are also raising our three boys. And of <laughs> course, you can't be a bit of homemade disruption, because I always say disruption breeds innovation and you get out of your growth. So I um, I finally uh, agreed to my boys getting a puppy. So that's disruption 101. Ooh, for Christmas, there we go. No, we've had what we've actually got oh, one. So it's <laughs> a couple of months old, and he's a German Shepherd, and um, he's very intelligent, I have to say. But yeah, again, disrupted our family kind of ecosystem for mm. the better because got out of our comfort comfort zone for sure. Aman, it's been so great to speak to you that you're a real character a rebel um and you've got some great you know such a it's good to have such a great person in the industry um and what i would say is for anyone listening you know where is the best place to to reach you is it linkedin it's linkedin absolutely linkedin yeah reach out on linkedin and i um i am a super user on linkedin Right. Mm-hmm. I love the content out there. I share the content. I put my opinions out there and I am happy to advise and mentor if I have the bandwidth for sure. 
Fantastic. Well, it will wrap it up there. Thanks very much for coming on the show and have a fantastic day, your end. Thank you so much, Dave. Really appreciate it.